Welcome to Permission to Fail, the podcast. My name is Bella Kaja and join me as I explore the stories about failures and how we can turn them into meaningful success. Each week, I discuss topics that matter to women and together with our experts in this subject matters, I hope you find strength amidst all life's challenges. This episode is in support of the expat women who are currently based outside of their home countries. Your stories have become our strength and it's a testament that anything is possible if you put your mind to it. Hi, hi and welcome back to Permission to Fail. I am so excited, so excited for today's episode. I have a really special guest, the first family member to actually come on board as a guest on our show. Wow, this is the first. So um, who's my next speaker? Well, we have someone really special today. She's someone so brilliant. She's overseas. She's in Brussels right now. Um, so Farah, would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? And of course, a, a, a description about, you know, uh, what is life really uh, in Brussels? So go ahead. Okay. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Um, hello to my non-Muslim listeners. <laughs> okay. I am a um, homemaker, aspiring content creator and chef, a wife, a mom, a daughter, a sister, and also a friend to many who, do, to many who know me. Many of those who really know me. I have been staying in Belgium for the past 10 years, coming 11. Uh, came to Belgium when I was 26 years old. My son was four. Basically, got introduced into the expat life. Whether I like it or not, I had to follow my husband. Um, initially, it wasn't a permanent plan. I We planned to... The, the original plan was we were supposed to go back to Singapore after five years. And then suddenly, <laughs> life happens and, and um, we had to stay. So hence, I've been here for 10 years, yes, in Belgium, yes. Wow, look at that, from Singapore to Belgium. It must have been really, really hard. So uh, to occupy your time, right, the, the, uh, to occupy your time, I understand from the stories that you told me off the show, I mean, like, I know you personally, right? You are an inspirational figure, in my opinion. Um, and you, no are, la. Uh, I definitely, uh, I definitely think you're inspirational, and you have a story. Um, so uh, let me know. You know, um, you know, living in Brussels, right? You know, how has it been like? Truly, has it been challenging? I would say the initial expat life uh, has its pros and cons. For the world. It seems like, wow, it's some glorified kind of a life where you live uh, like a tai-tai in the common uh, English terms, you know. You you live a good life, you this, you that, you know, you have you go shopping, you then go for coffee with friends. But to tell you in all honesty, uh, that is uh, for those who really have that kind of life. But for normal people like us, we are, we are the chef, we are the nurse, we are the mom, we are the cleaner, we are, you name it, we're everything. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, initially it was a very daunting experience. I would say moving into a country where I don't speak the language, not having any friends or family support. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know how things are done here. I don't know the culture here. I don't know the people here. I was actually depressed for about a month 
and did not leave the apartment for about a month except for going to uh, going for grocery shopping. Yeah. I but yet I had to keep that positive facade for my husband because he was also uh, embracing a new job, a new uh, career, uh, a new I would say a new path in his career, yeah. uh, and he also had his own set of challenges at work. So in order to keep everything glued together, I had to just smile. Uh, and my son had, uh, my son went on to school for kids. I think it's rather simple. Uh, they, they have a la-la-la kind of attitude, yeah. you know. I mean, it's so simple for them. They make friends, they go to school and blah. But for the parents, I think it's much more of a, a serious kind of a journey yeah. and impact to oneself that... Uh, being the wife and the mother, I, I was like the glue to keep everything together. And it was my responsibility. And I take it very, very personally, you know. And then I said, okay, you know, just smile. Everything's going to be okay. But when I close the door after he left for the office, I will cry. For a month, that happened. And then after about three and a half weeks, I, I told myself, I, I cannot keep doing this. It's not possible. But then uh, we moved into, when we first came to Belgium, we actually moved into a, a so-called, um, like a be apart, like an apartment, waiting for our the house that we wanted to rent to be available. So in that apartment, I had to deal with a lot of uh, emotional turmoil and, you know, the, 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 the effects of moving and being away from home because I left when my father was really ailing. And then I had to pass the responsibility to my sister and then I was on Skype 24-7 with them, uh, making sure that everything was okay, you know, building up that, that facade of a warrior that now I'm not going to crumble. But inside, I was going through that roller coaster in and out every single day. So that was the thing that I think was the one of the biggest stepping stone I had to overcome uh, emotionally. And, and, and somehow I, I, I rise up again stronger. And, and tell myself, eh, it's a thing of a past. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. It is 10 years. And now yes, you're enjoying um, you know, that journey of your, um, you know, being in Belgium. Yes. Uh, yes. And more specifically, you are in Brussels, which is a thriving, thriving uh, city. And it's, yes. not, it's, it's, it's completely different from our Singaporean uh, or, or Singapore background. So I'm very sure, sure uh, you had a lot of fear, you know, just stepping out and not even understanding the language. Talk me through because I know they speak French and here we are. And Dutch. And French, Dutch. French, yeah, French and Dutch. That's the crazy part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the road signs are in two languages. The official language is French and Dutch. Yeah. Uh, although a lot of people speak uh, English in Brussels because it's it's it's, it's in the central for the EU. I mean, it's 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 the country for the EU. So there's a lot of international people going in and out. So they they have a lot of the, the community of people speaking English is a lot. But in terms of like um, official paperwork. Uh, uh, you know, like for your IDs and you, uh, you go for your communes, like the town councils, um, the town councils, because the the way the system runs in Belgium, it's not like, you know, like uh, a central government. Every city has its own government. So it's yeah. like, they call it the commune or the town councils, as we would say in Singapore. So uh, the official languages will be spoken based on where you are like for example when i was staying in brussels it was right. spoken in french yeah. now i moved out slightly outside of brussels in overise yeah. overise and they speak dutch right. so it really it's really a 
you know you have to know where you are it's it's crazy i know yeah. but when yeah. once you are staying in that country you kind of get used to it at the uh-huh. end of the day uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah i'm like okay french plus at the end of the day i so fed up i speak english or english <laughs> but people still understand me so yeah <laughs> That is trend is all about it's all about being a uh, uh, adaptive and I yes. know this about you yes. and I know this personally about you you know like I I when I you know me being married to your cousin uh, for the past seven <laughs> second years, cousin second cousin right <laughs> and I'm just like wow like uh, you're one of the first uh, few women in my life you know uh, having joined this family who was so open um, open to accepting me so readily and you're the one of the first to tell me you know what you can adapt Bella you can do this you can do this I just want to yeah. use this opportunity to thank you for okay. allowing me to actually integrate into the family and really, really use this opportunity to really tell you that how much I love you, how Thank much you. I am I so, uh, yeah, I, I, how much I, I look up to you and I genuinely think that you are one of the first few people who taught me how to cook. Truly. <laughs> I remember you coming to my, uh, you know, coming over to London to our apartment and then said, no, Belle, this is how you do it. This is how you cut your onions. So I remember you're one of the first few women in my life who actually taught me how to cook and I'll never forget that. So let's Thank talk you. about cooking and the journey of how you became this chef. So I know you said yeah. you're a homemaker. I know you prioritize yeah. that. But just let me just let me tell the listeners out there that Farah Nisha is actually an avid cook and a chef, yeah, who turned her home business into something that's so much more. So walk me through about that process of like, how do you even build this from your home? Okay, it happened, I think, about... Uh, when when it was second year i was in belgium so i made a few japanese friends right and then they whenever i talk about um back back home i was uh, i was working uh off at the office and then also during the weekends i'll go through uh for makeup art- i was a make part-time makeup artist and i would nice. do like small events and stuff nice. like that and then when i came here suddenly the dynamics of life started to change because I was at home and then cooking and cleaning and then suddenly I was like, I had nothing to do. Yeah. You know, my son goes to school, I start, I clean the house and I clean it again. That, that's how I, that's how bored I was. And then I was like, um, when I started making friends and this is it, uh, my Japanese friends actually gave me the idea. It was really, it was really how Allah worked in mysterious ways for me. Um, I was talking about food. And I said, uh, what do you miss home the most? And I said, food. I really miss the food. And then when I started talking about food, that's when I realized how passionate I was about food. Yeah. I was like, wow, I can really do this. And then they said, hey, you know what? Why don't you teach us how to make and then we'll pay you like a small fee? Like maybe I said, I say, ah, pay? Why? You're my friends. I don't need to charge you. Then they say, no, no, no. We have to pay you. I said, okay, lah, if you really want to pay me, I'll just charge you 10 euros per head lah come over i teach you how to cook then we can have a nice lunch together so that's how it actually started so from that small group of japanese women move on to other groups of women and then uh after a few years my son moved to a bigger school uh and it was really huge it was like maybe 20 times the size of his previous school so that's when i started introducing the singapore cuisine uh, to the international community in that school and every single time when I uh, I talk about food I become more and more passionate about it because I really miss home and then the, 
something that you don't have, you really treasure. That's that's human. Eh? Uh, and then I started doing classes in the school for the mothers and charging a very minimal fee. And everybody started looking like really liking was like wow I said don't be afraid of chili chili is not going to kill you <laughs> that's what I would say wow oh, okay it's as simple as I, chili yeah? wow yeah I okay. said it's not going to kill you eat with your hands put away the fork and spoon yeah, makan yeah. with your tangan that's what yeah, I would yeah, say yeah. and they say then I say this is how we say makan with your tangan yeah. eat with your hands then they say how do I am I doing it right and then I, I would lay the food on the banana leaf and then they would start eating they was like Farah, this is so nice. <laughs> and I say, that's going to cost you 30 more minutes on the treadmill. Then I started laughing. <laughs> so whenever there's a school event, the school yeah. will ask me to take part in that event to sell the Singapore food. So I've been doing that for the past few years. And Alhamdulillah, all thanks to Allah, my food always sold out before the time supposed to end. And I had wow. to do a number system there, number system because people yeah. were queuing out like crazy. Wow. Yes. Wow. And then, and then, aku dah jadi macam warung, <laughs> warung maci dekat tengah-tengah sekolah international school. Right, right, right. right. So yeah, that's how, um, I would say that's how it actually evolved from a suggestion from, a, just from a few friends. And yeah. I realized that, wow, this is crazy. This is really something I would, I, I really thought I would want to become a makeup artist. Tapi at the end of the day, no. I wanted to cook yeah. and eat yeah. and enjoy. And yeah. and I enjoy, I, I get a lot of satisfaction when, I speak, when, when people say they enjoy the food. That's something that I really appreciate. I have experienced eating your food. So I not only enjoy, I am obsessed with your cooking. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, and I know this for sure. Like, you know, when I first heard that you were about to cater to the Singapore Embassy in Brussels, I was like screaming at the top of my head. I was like, oh my goodness, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Was it nerve-wracking? Because you went through from like, you know, a person who, who was so afraid of a new country, the new environment, right? You were, you were almost depressed, like what you mentioned. And now catering food for um, the Belgian community. Are you proud of yourself? I would not say I'm proud of myself. I still have a lot to learn, to be very honest. Despite knowing a few things in the kitchen, uh, I, I have a lot more to learn. But the Singapore Embassy in, in for Benulex has been very, very gracious to me despite the mistakes I've made along the way like you know sometimes the kuih is a bit too lembe or this and that but I never charge them for that yeah I, I would always take it back and say no I'm not I'm going to charge you for that because it's not fair it's not fair but um, the orders keep coming back that's one thing no, that's one thing I realised that the orders keep coming back and that's when I realised that people like it enjoy it because I'm doing it from home and I do it small scale I'm not doing it at in the, at, uh, at a industrial level yeah. um, everything is customized and done very you know ho- yeah, ho- anything homemade is always still yeah of course. it's always stays better right yeah. and yeah. um and the, uh, during the covid season actually uh over the over the past one year a lot of the staff couldn't go back mm-hmm. right so there were times where i actually did uh lunch boxes for them every um three weeks or four weeks or so. And the staff were really looking forward to buy. Like, okay, you know what? This week is biryani or this week is nasi lama or this week is, uh, what, do I, what else do I do? Asam pedas week. Wow. So, so they really come in. There, there's a staff that they're, they're, one of them will come over and pick up the food and say, thank you, Farah. Thank you, Farah. You know, it's like a slice of home. 
Yes, of course. So food kind of bring comfort to me. So I I take that very seriously and bring it also to the rest of people here, especially those who are away from home. You know, you remind me of like, you know, when I was in UK and we had like a Malaysian fair, Asian fair, right? And it was uh, Malaysian street food. And even though it wasn't so predominantly Singapore food, and I remember going there and and eating all the onde-ondes and like, you know, the epo-epo, you know, they don't call it curry puffs, they call it epo-epo. And I was like, that is the size of home. And and the thing about the biggest misconception about what Singaporeans think of aspects is that they think it's easy. They think that mm. moving overseas is, uh, is 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 easy, and it is not. Yeah. It's being adapt. Is is that idea of you know you're adapting, you're adapting to the culture. You are uh, you are um, you know finding finding your way through all this um, you know through all these motions, right? And it's not right. something that um, no book, no Google website or whatever it is is going to tell you how it, how to do it right. Right, but at yes. least you have a support system. You know, you have your yeah. husband, you have your son. Yes. So with this support system, right? Um, let's talk about family, right? Mm. Um, because you left when you were twenty six. So how young, how <laughs> years young are you now? Do I have to really say my age? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay, I'm actually the thirty six this year. I think. Wow! I look think. at that. 36 I'm, years young. It has really been 10 years. Wow. Yeah, yes, 36 wow. years. Yes. So, so I mean like um, when you came, you were like in your 20s, you were a millennial. And then now you're just, you know, just like, you know, like, you know, yeah. 36 is still very, very, very young. But you've amassed a lot of experience, right? So raising mm. your one and only son, let's talk about that together with your husband. Uh, it's not, it's not easy because your husband, I'm very sure he'll be out there working for very long hours and then you're left yes. taking care of the home and then the son. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, what are some of the things that, you know, um, you know, that, that really, really, the stresses that really made you feel like, oh my gosh, I, I don't think I can do this today. This is really actually very difficult. I feel very alone. Like, I mean, like, just, just share with me some of the experience that you have, you know, raising yeah. a kid as an expat in, in Brussels. What was it like? Yeah. <laughs> I will laugh first because there's a lot of story coming in. Uh, okay. Um, raising, okay. I would say that uh, having one child uh, also has its pros and its cons. Okay. But um, I like to look at things in a broader perspective. The challenge is when, when we first came here, the first few years, winter was the harshest season for me. Because I would fall really sick during winter, eh? uh, and then um, uh, my son, my husband had to go to work, and I had to take care of my son, and I had to send him to school, and that was the thing that I really like. Oh my god, really, you have to really drag yourself out of bed, send your son to school, go home, prepare dinner, and then pick him up again and bring him home, and then when he's home, you have to entertain him his work with him and stuff like that so that was the one thing that really I mean when you are healthy and fine everything's okay but when you are physically down that when it hits you oh my god I wish he has a play date today or something so you know that 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 was the thing that really that was a challenge but other than that I I'm okay I am really okay yeah, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't bad. Uh, we I had an experience. I remember the second year we came over. Um, it was winter. Uh, the second year we were we were in Belgium. Said not when we came over. We were in Belgium, 
the winter was harsh, really harsh. And the snow was up to my knees. We were already out halfway through to go to school. School called and said school is going to go. School is closed. So we had to turn back, right? Wow. I remember Muhammad crying in the snow. So I want to go back to Singapore. <laughs> and I was, I was like, it's okay, baby. It's okay. I had to push, pull him through the snow, which was up to my knee. And imagine he was, he was the, the, the snow was really half of him already, you know, it's, it's really deep. And I was like, it's okay, baby. Just a few more steps to go. Just a few more steps to go. And, uh, and yeah, that was that was rough because I remember at that point of time, my husband was also down with chicken pox. I was the nanny and I was also the nurse. Yeah. <laughs> you name it, you know? And uh, yeah, and, and, and that, was, that was an experience actually. That as a family, we, we learn a lot when we are alone. Because we do not have any support system going on, but yet we 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 thrive. We, we kind of, the business is also something that really brought all of us together. Like whenever I have an event, Muhammad and my husband would be there with me at the booth and working as a family. And the other vendors would look at us and say, "How do you do that? How do you keep your son and your husband with you?" I say, "Hey, it's teamwork. All hands on deck. Eh, I cannot be doing this alone." But yeah, then we would, you know, every after I I would say every after every event, we are super tired. I say, come, let's let's go for dinner. It's my treat. And then that's how it, we born as a family. We make decisions as fam as a family. Although my husband would have the finals, will have the final say. But our opinions matter because the journey that we have been through as a family uh, grew, uh, make us grow together and blossom. And our our bond is very very close to one another. Like. If something or some major decision has to be made, we'll come together and have a discussion. And his, my son's opinion matter, my opinion matter, and then we'll come to a conclusion. At the end of the day. Wow. So it, it really, it's, 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 it's actually a wonderful journey. Yeah. yeah. Wow, wow. Look at that. From, from not knowing what the future holds. And now yeah. that, you know, Muhammad is probably like, like you know, really much older right now. 14. And, yeah, 14 years old. Wow, look at that, right? Um, I, I think he has grown he has grown up to be a really lovely young, young man and you know, helping you out with your husband as well. I think he's really um I think like as, as a teenager and, and you know, they always say uh, mommy's boy, they call it right, mommy's boy, right? And and truly me meeting him, I mean like he he is he's not only adorable, but he has this maturity, that sense yes. of maturity that you just cannot find that, like you know, um very rare, very rare. At 14 and and when i met him it was five years ago he was probably five or or six right um uh yeah. six yeah and like um and 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 the fact that he's already so mature back then i think it is a testament to the way you and your husband has brought him up Thank yeah you. Thank yeah you. so so let's let's talk about social pressures about you know all these aunties who now come and see you over high raya all right when's the next one when's the next and every year is the next conversation when's the next when's the next one Oh my gosh, like, tell me, how do you feel about that? One thing you got to know about me, Belle. Yeah, yeah. Okay. People don't define how I feel. People don't define how I think. And people don't define how I live my life. That's me. I don't care. If people ask me when's the next one coming, I'll just say, pray for me. If it comes, it comes. It doesn't, it doesn't. You know, yeah. every single yeah. year, they ask me the same question. I give <laughs> them the same answer. So at the end of the day, after that, 
I mean, some some of them get the trip after the third year they stop asking, but some of them just don't. Yeah. So I just I just think that okay, you know what? Never mind. Maybe they just they just want to strike out a conversation and they don't have a topic to talk about. So I just think of it that way. And um, I don't. I have have. I mean, I don't get irritated, but never um to the level where I'm angry. Sometimes I think when they ask, they are just concerned. Eh? Yeah. Uh, orang tua, right? Dorang right, punya right. cara pemikiran tu lain. Yeah, uh, yeah. Eh, kau, kau, you, what, maybe to them is, you're so young, why don't you have yeah. another one? You know, right, that kind of right, thing. Right, right. Uh, tapi, it's not, yeah. it's not me who decide. It's yeah, the he, almighty who decide. Yeah, if Allah wants right, to give right. me another one, He gives me another one. If it doesn't, then what am I supposed to do? You know? At least, at least I have one, bring him, bring him up as a human being. That's how I always right, say right. <laughs> And you've done an excellent job. So that that social pressure it will always be there. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. social pressure will be yeah. always be there. Just brush it off your shoulders, lah. Yeah. Yeah. But but do you ever feel like you know you know do you ever feel like um like 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 a failure because this whole podcast is all about like you know like all the things that we have done in our lives and thinking like you know what like uh yeah that's one aspect that you know I don't have and and do you feel like uh like do you feel like you have failed yourself because I. Even though I don't have children after seven years, I don't feel like a failure. I feel like this is like this is a beginning, right? It's still a beginning. Relax, lah. You will come yeah. and he comes. Yeah. Exactly. I will tell you. Exactly. And then when he comes, you tell yourself, "What did I get myself into?" <laughs> so I'm saying, like, you, this is amazing. You have such confidence, and not many women. Um, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't see it the way we see it. So mm-hmm. If you have any advice, uh, for women out there who's listening in, and they are, uh, you know, they are either single moms or like they uh, only have one child, and they go mm-hmm. like, you know, a lot of pressure is on them. I mean, mm-hmm. for how, how, what would you tell them? Yeah. I would say this lah. Your you have to understand that your provisions has already been ordained for you, even though before you were, even before you were created, Allah has already ordained it for you. People can say anything and everything. You cannot shut people's mouth out. That's for sure. But don't let it define how you are supposed to feel, how you are going to lead your life. At the end of the day, your journey is meant for you and Allah will give you in His time. And it's never in your time. So if it doesn't come, something else better is waiting for you. I will always say that. And have good opinion of Allah. You know, he he's never, he will never forsake you. He will, he, he's closer to you than your juggler vein, for sure. But you just have to tell yourself, he will give me in his time, not in my time. So don't, don't let, don't let people define uh, uh, how you're supposed to feel, how you're supposed to think, how you're supposed to live your life, how many children you're supposed to have. Come on, man. It's your life, not their life, you yeah. know? That 60-year-old auntie might be nagging. Maybe she has some issues in her life. That's why she's wanting <laughs> for you. I would say that. She has some problem in her life. That's why she's coming to you. But no, just, just, just one year in, one year out. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah. if you think it's a little bit too much, then uh, excuse yourself from the situation. There are times that I would do that. I would kindly say, oh... Uh, I have to go to the toilet, you know, because I don't want to get into that uncomfortable situation where they they, they, they pry and then they, then I get very angry and I don't want to answer and then I will yeah. just, I will excuse myself for like, yeah. and I'll say, yeah. uh, I need to go to the toilet. Excuse me, bye-bye. And then move on. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right, right. And, 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 and that is why, you know, I like 
I like the way you handle situations. You are what you know. You have you have such high EQ. You know how you know you know how <laughs> not to offend other people. You know how yeah. to say the right things. And not many yeah. people are like you. And that is why you know sometimes wearing our hearts on our sleeves and and when we are such emotional creatures as women, it's actually a good thing. It's really yes, it's a true. good thing. Um, yeah. And and I I I I'm I'm learning this every single day, right? Because when there are people out there who hurt me, I go like. Oh yeah, I'm really hurt, and I, I'll fall into that abyss of like, oh my god, that person just that person hurt me, and it will be like long days of like mourning, you know. But I yes. realize, you know, snap out of it, and that's the beauty of Farah. I mean, like for those who are listening in, you know, when you meet her in person, if you have ever had a chance to meet her in person, right? She walks into the room, and you know, you know, your day will be a brighter one because Farah is there. I try my best. Yeah. I try my best. <laughs> yeah, Farah is there to really, really tell you know what? Heck it, life is good, and I. That's yeah. what I love about you and your family. And I wish you all the best. You know, like, this this this, this whole thing, like you being in Brussels and all that. Like I I I really think that like you know this is just a start. It's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be to something so much more. I'm very sure it's gonna grow to something. I mean, so much more. yeah. I mean, right. I mean, so I mean, so so the question now comes to the point of like you know, ten years into Brussels, right? Does it get lonely? I mean, like let's talk about you know being. An expat over there, and you know, yeah, you're you're kick, you're 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 here to kickstart the entire series of like um, me interviewing and understanding, you know, mm. the expat mind because there's this misconception that expats have it easy, and I know that's not true because I was I was only I was in UK for only like maybe a year, and I was already, mm. already, already feeling like oh my gosh, this is so much to learn, um, and so much to think and so much to do, and thankfully you are there, you come to you came and to visit us and all that kind of thing, so. Tell us something that we don't know about the expat life. Something that we cannot read. Something that you know. Something that you gotta really experience. Uh, you know, does it really get that lonely being away from home? So, so you know, tell us. Tell us a little bit more about this. Okay, I would say that staying overseas. Uh, the people always say the cr- the grass is greener on the other side. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say. Uh, Okay, yeah, if you look at it from far, but when you stay on that, that patch of grass, you see all the grasshoppers and insects and blah, 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 right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does get lonely. It, uh, I have to be very honest. In all honesty, it does. Um, You have to miss quite a few things in your life. You have to be mentally prepared that you will miss important occasions. Like, for example, based from my personal experience, I miss my own sister's wedding. Uh, my own father's funeral, uh, my grandmother's funeral, both my grandmother's funeral, my cousin's weddings. Um, there's a lot of things at important occasions in the family that I wasn't able to be there. But I learned how to deal with it. I learned how to tell myself that, okay, you know what? There's always a reason why Allah took you out from that situation in order to save you from something else. But uh, I, I guess my father's funeral was a turning point. Like, um, I mean, I, I came, I really came back, but I, I came like two days later because, of course, I, I told my sister to not wait for me to bury him. Just carry on with the funeral. Eh? Uh, uh, but all I saw was the grave, you know? And that, that longing of seeing him has, uh, has already made me like, you know, not ready, like somehow I still feel like he's around, but he's not around, you know, that kind of feeling. And then uh, it's been almost seven years now 
and I still have that feeling. Uh, it's so surreal that your father, you know, especially someone who's really close to you is gone. So, so surreal. But but then you tell yourself, no, he's really, really gone. You know, uh, there are days that I do cry. I'm not going to lie. Uh, days that I would uh, say, you know, uh, I just want to go home and then look at the sky in which I'm on that plane and I just want to go home. There are days, it, it, I'm human, eh? I, 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 I really uh, have, that, 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 that moments in my life but most of the time I will always be able to tell myself look you've got a house you got a family you got food on the table you got a roof on your head be thankful be full of gratitude don't be ungrateful and that will pull me back to reality okay okay I, this is this way I'm meant to be and this way I'm supposed to be I guess being away from home really make me appreciate a lot of things that I took for granted when I was back in Singapore, uh, family, weddings, um, uh, gatherings, uh, uh, especially when I was back in Singapore, I, would, I, wouldn't, I really don't like to go to weddings because number one, you need to dress up, number two, it's really hot, <laughs> number three, you end up overeating. And then you have to answer to everybody and salam everybody, right? That was yeah. then. But now, if you ask me, when I'm dying to go for a wedding. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, uh, you you tend to... And, and over the years, I realized that all those old people, you know, they are ailing. They are really ailing. And then when I look at their faces, and it kept reminded me that life is really a time, it's a clock that's ticking. Yeah? So that's when I, 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 I tell to myself that uh, I'm not alone. There are others like me. In fact, my, my own sister, my best friend is also like me. My sister is in Cape Town and she, she we are in the same time zone so we call each other. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, we are, so, yeah. so we have that, hey, you know what's, what's happening in Singapore? You know, the latest gossips or later, <laughs> <laughs> we chat together. <laughs> although, we get, although we get it six hours later, but yeah, we got the news. <laughs> but yes, yeah, but um, yeah, so we, 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 we are, I would say that we are each, each other support system when she's homesick I'll, I'll i'll comfort her when she's when i'm homesick she'll comfort me so i have my sister who's also away from home so we're not that alone in in term in that time in that in that context i'm not that alone i have somebody who i can relate to at the end of the day and someone very close to me so yeah that's expect life for you but you have to keep telling yourself that in your head um be thankful with whatever you have around you. Be thankful with what Allah has granted you. Be full of gratitude. Don't, don't yearn for something that you don't have. It's human. It's normal. But yeah, once in a while you cry because you miss home. It's normal. But when don't get carried away. That's my advice. Yeah. I like that. I like that the, 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 that realistic answer of don't get carried away. Don't get carried away with your, your emotions. It's okay. Yes. You know, it's okay to mourn. It's okay to feel sad. Yeah. Snap out of it. And, 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 yes. and the fact that we are doing this podcast, it's all about to, just to remind ourselves that like all our little failures are milestones for, for, for our success. Right? Yeah. So, yes, so I, I really appreciate, um, you know, you telling me and opening up about your truth, you know, like uh, and the fact that, you know, being an expert is actually not that easy too. So I, I like this. So thank you for sharing that. No so worries. so then, uh, I I mean I'm just curious about your your childhood. I mean like I I knew you right, um just you know seven years right. But I feel like I've known you forever. Now if you had to, to walk me down memory lane, what 
was Farah Nisha during like because you went from I mean like you were from a girls school you were from yes. uh, Hatton Convent right yes. Convent girls yes. school um yes. and then like uh and then you went through the emotion of being a student and all that kind of thing and then uh and then you had to like you know leave the country so that trajectory was a a, a real big adventure so yes. what was it like being um you know from uh from from a girls school and then going through that uh, I, uh that, that idea of like you know the school system the n levels the o levels and this comparing this to what your son is going through now and like, yes uh, yes how do you like tell, tell me i'm so curious like Uh, about your childhood and all so basically i was brought up in the 90s right i was in 1985 baby 80s baby so definitely i was brought up in the 90s so i had that that 90s thing like <laughs> mom was a homemaker dad yeah. was the one who brought food on the table and yeah, yeah, yeah. um i think who i am today and what i am today is also mainly because of my father my father was a he was a businessman So we we had uh, a very interesting childhood. I will not say difficult childhood, a very interesting childhood. There were days that we would have only ten dollars in the house, and there were days that we had the the what do you call it the Singapore power person would come to the house and cut off the power because we didn't pay the bills. There were days where we would have uh, loads of cash in the house because my father was a businessman eh? and he was doing uh, logistics, so he was in into logistics. So um, so. I think because of him not not looking at failure as a as a failure but also a stepping stone to success has molded me to what I am today. Uh I went from a very quiet child when I was young, very quiet child actually my sister was the chitty chatty one. Uh my younger sister Sammy was the chitty chatty one and then I went into Katong Convent. I was an average student so How I got into Katukon was a very interesting story. So, uh, I was an average student, and I was very weak. I was not so good in math, right? During my PSLE, my father, being my father, super ambitious fellow, put first choice as RGS. <laughs> the whole entire cohort started laughing at me, and Katukon okay. was actually the last choice. And he kind of knew that the doctor was. He knew what he was doing, but in a very different way he did it. Like, okay. Okay. so I I went home crying because I say, why do you have to embarrass me? You know. And then he said, no, it's okay. People will laugh at you all your life, but you have to, you know, just just you know. He he was he was teaching me valuable lessons in life, you know, despite me being twelve years old. Yeah. So obviously, I went. I landed up in Cotton uh, CHIG Cotton Convent. As this fat, short-haired girl with oversized uniform, my okay. mom wanted to save some money. She said, "You can you can wear the uniform for over the years, so I don't have to buy you every." So she bought me this really long pinafore, like almost like budget tido kind of thing. I was like, "Ah, okay. okay, yeah, okay." So okay, and then okay, being very very blue and uh, very, I I was I took that experience. I would say over the years in Katong Convent, I. Although I was a very quiet child in school, uh, I I I I kind of like imitated the confidence levels at home, okay. because they had the cheerleaders and stuff like that. So I I I observed a lot of things, and then I realized that there's nothing wrong in being outspoken. There's nothing wrong in stating how how you feel. So when I started graduating to secondary three, I started become more vocal, very being very vocal. And um, 
I and I may be very clear for those. Uh, there are some girls in school. Obviously, in a girls' school, you tend to have your own cronies, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Uh. There's four of us. And I would say that I have four fabulous friends, and we're still friends still today. Wow. Till today, we're still in contact till today. Give although them a some. Shout out. What are their names? Give oh, my out. friend Shabana, Nini, Sandia, and me. There's four of us. Wow. Okay. Uh. We we still got in contact until today. Uh, I think um, and they call me uh Fire Nisha because I am very 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 vocal and I'm not afraid to voice out my views. <laughs> I like that Fire Nisha. Uh, okay. Yeah, because I'm like I'm like a I would the friend the friend should call me Supole, you know. Everyone that I could like what then I'm like okay. <laughs> yeah. So um so that was how. I mean, I had really close friends. Uh, I had a lot of friends, but these were the real, you know, the ones that I would, they would. So although I am like that, but I'm one of those, the first people that they would call if they're in trouble. That's, uh, that's uh, say, okay, let's sort it out and stuff like that. So we had our own groupies, you know, and uh, I was very, very outspoken, but always willing to help when people needed my help. That's that's one thing I I I I remember being in school for. I always try to help other people, even if I don't like that person. Because I, I said, "Come." You. I know that of you. Yeah. Then I tell myself, "Hmm, I don't want to help you, but I got no choice." You know, you know, because my conscience will tell me I'm doing the wrong thing if I'm not going to help. Eh, don't do that. I mean, I don't want to spoil my conscience yeah. for that. And and at home, I was a totally different person. At home, I was uh, I was an eldest. The eldest, so I was the I was the eldest in the house, so I had that you know that whatever you do it outside, you don't bring it back home, so that your siblings cannot copy you or whatever not right. And I was I was never I was always very although I'm very stern with my siblings like very strict with certain things, but I never I will always take their side whenever they're in the wrong. <laughs> although knowing that they're in the wrong, like for example, if Daddy would find out about something that. My siblings would have done, and he'll be very angry. I would stand in front and say, "Don't, don't hit them! Don't hit them!" You know, no, no, no. Although he would never hit them, but I would stand in the center and become yeah. the goalkeeper. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow. like uh, I, I would never. I cannot. I, I cannot. My siblings are my kryptonite, lah. Basically, yeah. basically, I, I, I really, really, really love them, and yeah, and being the eldest, you kind of have that, you know, that that facade that you got to keep, that the wall. Although that. Whatever is happening behind, you don't want them to know. So I've always had that in me, yeah. And also because of, I think my father is also like that. He never brought his issues back home. He smiled for the children. He was although he had a lot of problems outside financially and blah blah blah. But he still go home and say, "Eh, tomorrow is another day," you know. Yeah. yeah, and that confidence as well as that love to help. Um, I know this of you and the family, and 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 until today, until today, right? I mean, like you will never, never deny help if someone needs help. I know that of you. So, so that's the thing, as right? much as I can, I will help yeah. lah. As yeah. much as I can. That's the thing. That's a beautiful thing. And then, you know, that is you know being Katon Convent. Um, you know, it is such a pressurizing school. I know this, right? Uh, my sister <laughs> is from the Katon Convent. I, I, and, and she would tell me stories on how socially pressurizing it can be to be in a girls' school like that, right? Um, so how was how was like um, how was the exams like that? Yeah. Okay, so um, basically yeah, GCN yeah. levels was good because I was really really working very hard, mm-hmm. and then um, of course as the eldest daughter in the family, you 
you are aware of situations much more than your siblings are. You are much more aware of how the financial situation in the family is because you hear your adults talking, although you pretend to be asleep most of the time, but actually you're not, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, halfway through my O level year, halfway through my O level year, I knew what I wanted. I wasn't that maths and science kind of a girl, to be very honest. And I was an average student in math, right? Uh, I had difficulty coping in math during the O-level year. And I find it very difficult. And I knew that my chances of going into a polytechnic was... Uh, you know, <laughs> no, because I'm a very artsy person. Okay, I love creating things. I love painting. I love. I love all that. So I, 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 I had a, I had a secret plan in my head that I would not make it from my own levels. <laughs> yeah. But because I, I cannot tell my father this because he's going to slaughter me alive, right? So I will see because I knew the situation was what was like because he was a businessman. So the income was very inconsistent. So therefore, it affected the CPF. Uh, and, and then when you have not enough cash, you have to use a CPF. And then if I take that chance, then my sister would have a slimmer chance of entering into a polytechnic. So I told myself, come on lah. You know yourself, right? You wanted, I wanted to go into the school of uh, LaSalle, I think, school of finance, I think. Uh, with my O-levels and N-levels arch results, I will be able to enter. Because I scored it for A's for both years. Oh. Yes. Uh, and I'm talking about A2, eh? Yeah, wow, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. So I know myself and I had this secret plan in my head but I didn't want to tell my father because, you know, when he says, no, 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 no. You know how, how, yeah, how society yeah. will perceive you think of you and us, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of like, okay, you know what? O-levels, I know I'm not going to make it. Half through way to the re, I already know I'm not going to make it. So I kind of like, okay, just went with the flow, Right? And then, true enough, my results were not good enough to enter any polytechnic. I can go either into an ITE or went into the art school. But of course, the art school was a bit more expensive. Lah. So, my plan was, I'll do a part-time job and then support myself at school. My father being my father, that can never happen. So, he said, why don't you take some accounting and finance course or something like that? Okay, went for a foundation course just to please him. Right, just to please him. Uh, I did accounting and finance. Uh, but that also, I learned a little bit of psychology and stuff. It's quite interesting, actually. I find it like, very fun. And then, of course, to graduate up to the uh, diploma course, you need money. So, obviously, I didn't want to pressure him, so I just kept quiet. So, um, the moment I finished school, I thought to myself that I was going to get a part-time job. And then I'm going to sign up for LaSalle. That's what was one of my thinking. Although yeah, I, no, no, I would enter, yes, yes, yes. Still, although I'm going to be like a one and a half year late, but it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. And then my worst distraction happened. Okay, what was that? <laughs> my husband. Yes. So that was, that, was, that was the journey that I wanted to, but I cannot say it to my, my siblings because if I say it to my siblings, then they were trying to follow or mimic my steps. So that's why I kept that secret plan out really wanted to go to in the art school. I really wanted to go into art school. I cannot tell my father that, you know. But then, I kind of knew because my sister at the end of the day made it through poly. Made it through poly. Uh, and, uh, and, and I'm glad that I gave her that chance. Go. It's okay. Because I know myself. I'm not going to enjoy as much as 
if I go into art school. And I, I'm, I'm that kind of a person. So yeah, so that was the secret plan I had in my head. And it's a decision that I made. And I'm not going to say, no, oh, I didn't do it, I did it. Because no, no, no. It's a decision I made myself. I admire your clarity. I mean, at such a young age, we had that clarity about what you want to do and what you not, yeah. what not to do. It's not easy. It's not yes. easy, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and the fact that you had that clarity and you followed through, right? You were and you were the being the protective older sibling to the rest of your. There's how many yeah. of you in the siblings again? There's like four. Four, yes. Four, right? Yes, and got you it. being like that's quite a big family, right? And you're yes. telling yourself that you know, you know, I am doing this, but I don't want my sisters to follow in my footsteps. This is my journey, not their journey. Yes. You had that clarity. I admire yeah. this, right? Uh, and then you met your husband. Right? So let's talk about that. Oh, yes, yes, very, very young. In fact, um, I was 19. I just finished my foundation course. I just finished my foundation course. And then um, mom came over after attending uh, my great-grandfather's funeral, which happens to be my, my husband's grandfather's funeral, related by the way. Yeah. And said, uh, Shasha, um, uh, your, my mother-in-law asked me if I'm available. Then I was like, mom, you know me. If I'm dating someone, I will tell you. At that present moment, I wasn't. Right. I was, I was okay. I was, I, I wasn't. I was, I was single lah, basically, right? And then I was like, I was like, uh, why me? Why? And she say, uh, she wants to ask for your hand in marriage wow. for her eldest son. Wow. I was like, huh? Wow. <laughs> so the first person I called was my sister. My sister wasn't at the, my sister wasn't at the, uh, at the kenduri for the, the tahlil, basically. Right. Right. So the first person I called was my. My sister, Adik, you know what? This is what happened. Then my first, my sister's response was, he's a very good guy. He's very, very good. <laughs> you need someone like him. <laughs> my sister became, my sister was, I was, I'm 90 years old, asking an advice from a 17-year-old who sounded like a 30-year-old. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? Wow. And how long, and how soon, okay, how soon was it, right? the whole court thing? Like, you were 19, and when did you get married right after? I was 18 and a half going 19. So it was only one and a half years. Wow. So I got married at the age of 20. Wow, look at that. Yeah. 20, 21, I got my son. Boom. Wow, look at that. Look at that. Having your first yes. child, 21. And yes. this is this is your trajectory. This is your narrative. You must be you when you look back and, and, and as you're telling me this story, how do you feel right now? I'm very sure there's a lot of memories, you know, just yeah. That. yeah, yeah. How do you feel? I I would say that I'm glad I did it lah. I'm really glad I did it because now I look at all my cousins chasing off all, all their small little children. I'm like, eh, I'm having coffee already. <laughs> Then, when, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. when you guys are going out partying and having yeah. fun, I was like feeding my baby and so you know, ah, I guess that was my journey. As I said, that was my journey and I'm glad I did it. I'm very happy that I did it because I grew up at the same time, not, not only marrying at a very young age taught me to become a mother and be more responsible, oh, but I grew up yeah. as a person, as a woman and, and over the years, I, I was this... 20-year-old girl that got married to my husband and I grew up yeah. with him. 
see that as a as, as a journey. Although some people would say, you know, the chitter chatter behind the back and says that oh, because she didn't do well in school, that's why she got married really fast and blah blah blah. Which yeah. people consider as a failure. Yeah. And I say, eh, heck, you don't know what was my plan. <laughs> Secret plan, and yeah, I just had, dropped down from the sky. Yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, Allah didn't want me to go to Lasalle. <laughs> now you're in Brussels. You're running a such a fantastic business, a home-based business. You, I mean, this is this is um this is this is really the journey of your life. And yes, and even sorry. though even though uh, from my understanding, right, like you know, your husband um is a graduate from anywhere. Yes, yes, right? yes, yes. And and there was never that pressure. You've never felt like you know you had to outperform him. You actually made your marriage work despite the fact that you know we are completely worlds apart. But you yeah. Made it work. Yeah. And, and 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 how how do you make that work? Tell us a little bit of secret of like how do you feel you could actually uh, you made. I mean, like, what are some of the secrets, right, of making a marriage work for the listeners who are tuning in right now, and they are figuring out themselves. They got married young, uh, just like you. What are some of the things that you can tell them? Yeah. I would say, um, um, as I was just telling you initially before the we started recording, yeah. in a marriage, you need two kinds of people: the boring one and the crazy one. So decide which one you want to become. If you are the boring one, then your husband needs the, the crazy one. If you are the crazy one, then your husband needs the, the boring one. Okay. Um, because I was young, I was very, very young, I had to learn a lot of things. Um, I would say hard way, the hard way. Okay. But my husband was the calm in my storm. He was really the calm in my storm. He knew how to tackle me or say how to calm me down when I was being a psycho. To be very honest, uh, I had my I had my moments lah, you know, it's like ah, you know, the stress of motherhood, the stress of you know, I was so young, you know, and then um, of course peer pressure also played a part because everybody else was around me wasn't married and blah blah blah. You know? I I told myself, come on, there, there's always a reason why you're in a certain place at a certain time, you know, this is why you are here, and it takes it takes um understanding patience and also uh, tolerance lah, I would say like my husband tolerated me in a certain way I tolerated my husband in a certain way whatever he doesn't like I won't do whatever I don't like he won't do that kind of thing we had our differences because of our age gap uh, and what is that age gap? it's nine years huh? nine years we had our differences i mean okay maybe to the older generation nine years is not a big deal they had like 16 years of age gap yeah, and stuff. but in the modern world nine years is a lot of age gap okay a lot okay really a lot uh we made it work because we we really really truly felt for one another that one i i cannot deny uh not him as a person, but him as a whole. Not me as a person, but me as a whole. And uh, we worked out our differences. We were honest with our feelings. We fight. I will not say that we don't fight. It's bullshit if I say we don't fight. It's normal. It's normal to argue. It's normal to have difference of opinion. It's normal to... Uh, to, 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 to scream at one another especially when you just get married it's normal it's very very normal yeah. uh, uh, okay it's actually a, a learning curve that you are learning about him and him learning about you 
never take it personally like you know macam like oh we are not compatible no it's a learning journey marriage is all about learning until the rest of your life you will learn about one another you will learn about his antics his craziness his psychoness his his this is that he will also learn about your mood swings about you know about things that you never thought you had yeah. the inner demons that came out after only after you have you know it's normal it's normal a very people. normal normal thing normal thing yeah. yeah so don't take a single argument into a into don't 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 turn a single argument into world war 3 because it's not worth the effort that you go through together as a couple to get married and then after that just because of one stupid argument you want to macam yeah, turn right. it into World War 3 exactly exactly. if just let's say you come to that point in time of your marriage that you really cannot stand his guts and he cannot stand your guts okay okay it happens to some people it does go out of your regular zone have a cup of coffee and speak your heart out. Be honest to yourself and be honest to your partner. You share the same bed. I don't see why you cannot share the same issues. Right? At the end of the day, be honest about it. And speak your heart out. Cry your heart out. Whatever you don't like, say it. But you don't have to scream, shout and use vulgarities. It doesn't, it's not necessary. Trust me. Yeah, I've, I've gone through that process It's very tiring, you know. <laughs> Honestly, it's very tiring. So, be honest to yourself. You have to be honest to yourself in order to be honest to your partner. Yeah. And I always say this, wow. you, are the relax- you are the reflection of your partner, your partner is a reflection of you. If you bring yourself well, your partner also is going to bring himself well. So, To argue is normal, to fight is normal, to have com- misunderstandings of one another is normal. And don't fight because of people. Alah, come on lah. Yeah. Don't be so budak-budak again. Yeah. Macam, if you are irritated, right. you just tell it. I, after, trust me, Belle, after 16 years of marriage, this is what I tell my husband. Don't piss me off, ah. you're crossing the line. <laughs> you just laugh. <laughs> truthful, yes. Like Very that. truthful. Don't piss me off. Ah. What's wrong with you? Stop being an annoying child. Then I walk off. You know that it comes to that level already that you are so comfortable and you're very honest. You're just honest. And I think in a marriage, honesty and communication is two key, key very important elements to make it work. That's what I would say. Um, although we are years apart, heaven and earth, man, the way we think, really, really heaven and earth, you can, if you ask him, he will say, oh, my wife. Oh. <laughs> he will just shake his head. You don't dare to say anything Because I strangled him alive after that. <laughs> But and yeah, I hope that I know when he's listening to this. I know he appreciates every aspect of you. You've you've done so much for both of them. You know himself and the son. And yeah, the son. I mean, yeah. I do it because I do it. To be very honest, I do it out of love. I do it. I really do it out of love. The care, the concern, and my husband also gave me the same support as well. It's really. Um, Uh, support me in my business, support me in my, he's my director in YouTube, my producer, you name it, um, my editor, you know, he does, he, he, he supports me in his own, in his own little way. So, as a, as a 20 year old girl, I will not see all these things, but as a 36 year old woman, I will see all these things. 
Oh wow! Yeah. Look at all that. the small, small little things that really mean that really mean a lot. Not the handbags, the shoes, and the gifts. Eh, all that you can throw and chuck in the closet. I'm not interested. But the care, the concern, the daily hugs, the daily um, you know TLCs, yeah. the message, text messages that I miss you, Sam. When you're coming home, you know that kind of thing. That really plays an important part. Those people who are going to get married, here's my advice. The material things do not matter. You can get it later in life. But look at the way he treats his mother. If he treats his mother with respect, he's going to treat you with respect. But if he treats his mother like something else, then you've got to think about it. That's my oh, advice. Oh, look at that. If he treats his mom like a queen, he's going to yeah. treat you like a queen too. Ah, I mean like, you got I, it, girl? Yeah, there you yeah. go. This is one of my favorite episodes, to be very honest. I love this. I'm learning so much. As for normal, when I'm with you, I always feel like there's always so much to learn from your gift of love and your gift of like, you know, um, uh, you know, just just the idea of you giving so much to everyone around you makes my heart so warm. And I know that like whenever anyone you know walks into a room and were to like meet you in person, they know that you know you are really one of the first, like the few people who are really spirited, positive intuitive and really i hope you know when someone who listen who listens to this they can truly get so much in return from your story so i think hopefully farah, inshallah yeah i, I think inshallah. I, and i and i call you bubu farah actually bubu actually is like a big sister thank you so much uh, for being here sharing thank your you story. so much don't don't my my advice is don't don't live your life because of other people live your life because you want it. you want it to be that way and For the Muslim listeners, always put Allah in the equation. Yeah. Allah, when you put Allah in the equation, there's always a barakah in every decision that you make. For my non-Muslim listeners, uh, the listeners would say, um, find the yin and yang. Yeah. You know, only you know where your yin and yang is hanging. Everybody's yin and yang is different. Okay, so don't 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 because other people say, oh, you're you're so married for so long, you have not have any child. Auntie, you already have children. You mind your own business. I will decide when I want to have children. Okay, auntie? Ah, uh, they can't think. <laughs> for, for those who are not married, uh, why you're so, oh, Daini, eh, belum dapat jodoh? Ah, carikanlah. Ah, doakanlah. Ah, they can't think. Don't, don't, don't do it because of other people. Do it because right. you want to do it. Correct. Yeah. Sorry, and that's how we wrap the podcast, everyone. Yes. From so much on Fire Nisha's positivity, I hope you've learned so much from her truth and her narrative and her story. Um, the literate dot is her business. I will talk so much more on social media about her business. If you want to follow, follow her Instagram. You know, there's there's a YouTube channel as well dedicated to food. I'm so excited to just share so much about you know uh, Farah and her story and her narrative. So much more on social media. Thank you, Farah. Thank you so much for spending time with me. I hope, um, you know, and I wish you all the best in all that you do. You deserve the best. Thank you so much. Make dua for me and as much as I will make dua for you uh, that, uh, you know, uh, your your business will be a success. And my my business is not, not, not on the monetary part, but more on helping others to create flavors of home away from home. That is the thing that I'm, I'm aiming at. And uh, and those who are clueless in the kitchen, as I was the first time, don't really help. It's out there. Just yeah. just subscribe, like, and share the little red dot. And then more episodes are coming up. Um, and then uh, hopefully, yes, so we can move on from there. 
There you go. Yes. There you go. Farah Nisha from the Literate Doll all the way in Brussels and our expat, our first expat special episode. Thank you so much, Bubu Farah Nisha. Thank you so much for being here today. You're most welcome.